You are a believer in Jesus. You, you follow him. You come to a place in your life where you recognize that it's only through his death and resurrection. I mean, it's, it's all the only way you're going to make it in eternity. And you throw in yourself on him. Then we know two things about you. First of all, we know that all your sins are forgiven completely, not partially. I mean, Jesus says he's going to remember them no more. They are as far as the east is from the west. You'll never pay account of them. Isn't that great news? That's good news. That's the gospel. Second thing we know about you, though, as a believer, is that one day you will stand before him in judgment. Scripture speaks of this in several different places. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, verses 9 and 10 here have been my life verses for, for some time. But beginning in verse 6, he says, uh, Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home, home with the Lord. He just wants to go to heaven. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. And this is why Paul makes it his goal to please Jesus on this earth. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about it as well. He says, If any man builds on this foundation, that's the foundation is Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, uh, several years ago, I saw Pete Briscoe at Stewart's, Joel's son, at uh, Bentry Bible Church in Texas. He was doing an adaptation on a book called The Bema by Tim Stevenson. And if you were here last week, you, you, you remember what happened is there was a guy by the name of Daniel James Matheson. He accepted Christ when he was younger, but pretty much neglected Jesus through the rest of his days. Well, one day he's at work, Jesus comes back and he finds himself in heaven. He's like, this is really real. He comes across his guardian angel, Muriel, who ends up telling him the ropes of heaven and, and reminds Daniel about the judgment seat. Now, Daniel had never heard about this Bema seat of Christ. And it was where he was supposed to go to be judged for his life from the time he became a Christian to the time he was ushered home. And remember last week there were several people, he was at the Bema seat and he watched several people called up for their judgments. And then at the end of the service, we ran out of time when Daniel James Matthewson's name was called for his judgment. And we couldn't see it then, so we're going to look at it today, the judgment of Daniel James Matthewson. But as we do, here, here's our challenge. If you are a believer in Christ, one day, something like, like this. I have a feeling it's going to be a little more intense than anything we can pull off down here. Uh, will happen. Your name will be called. Your judgment, what will it look like? This is the, the Bema Seat, part two. Daniel James Matthewson. Well, Muriel flew into the arena, picked me up, and brought me to the, the steps of the stage where Jesus was sitting. And as I walked up the steps, I was very conscious of the fact that the entire history of the church was looking at the back of my head. But more than that, 
In just a moment, I was going to be face to face with Jesus. And as I came up the stairs, there he was on his throne, and I just kind of froze. I don't know if it was fear, at least not fear like we're used to it on earth, but I froze all the same. He said, Daniel, come closer. I walked right up to the throne, and Jesus and I, we began to have this conversation. We talked, and as we did, I realized that in all those other judgments, this was the conversation that those people were having with Jesus. And Jesus said, Daniel, it's important that you understand what we're doing here. You need to understand the purpose. Daniel, you know, this has nothing to do with your salvation. Your place in heaven is secure, no matter what we come across today. But this is about stewardship. Daniel, I gave you 51 years of life, many opportunities and materials to build. And and, and we're going to see what you built with them today. You also need to understand, Daniel, something about the timing. I've had people ask me today, why couldn't we just do this on earth? Well, the reason is, is you never really know the full influence, impact of a person's life until time runs out. You, you influence one person, and then because you did that, they influence another, and because of that, another is influenced, and on and on. Well, as Jesus was saying this, I couldn't help but remember a judgment I had seen just a few minutes earlier of a man by the name of D.L. Moody. Uh, Moody was kind of like a Billy Graham in the 1800s, and he started this small Bible college in Chicago. And at at Moody's judgment, he received direct credit for everybody that he influenced, and there were several, let me tell you, as well as every student that was right there at the school under his watch. But then, even after Moody had died, every student who came to the school, D.L. Moody received partial credit for them. And then they went out, and they went out, and they influenced other people for Christ. D.L. Moody received partial credit for them. There was this huge web of interpersonal influence. I thought, wow. And then Jesus said, you've got to understand this as well, Daniel, something about the process. And he reminded me of an, an analogy that he used in, in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, Daniel, I'm the foundation. And when you came to know me, you were basically given that foundation. And in life, I gave you lots of building materials and opportunities. And you built something with your life. Everybody does. They can't choose not to. They build. And today, what we're going to do, Daniel, is we're going to look at what you built. Because you know, not everything has the same quality. If something's built in a shoddy fashion, it won't withstand the storm. And so today, I'm going to take the burning glance of my eyes and place it right on that which you've built. And if what you built is worthless, it'll be incinerated right up. But if it's worthwhile, it will last. Daniel, are you ready? (laughs) What do you say? No, I wasn't ready, but can we do this later, Lord? (sighs) Okay. And so Jesus walked with me throughout my life. You know, this is the amazing thing. Everyone else's judgment that I watched took a minute. But mine, I think it took the full 51 years. It's an elastic time thing. And in Jesus, I watched my life, I watched myself being born. And my life when I was a child and not a whole lot done for eternal significance there. But clearly, the most enjoyable part of this, this process I was 12 years old. Jesus allowed me to see the time when I came to know him. Now, I've heard the gospel thousands of times. But that day in Sunday school, as my teacher told it, it just like really, really took. I understood this. I went home and I, I closed my door in my room and I was just thinking hard. Jesus, did you really have to die for me? 
my sin do that to you? And I, I dropped to my knees. I remember this. And I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. Would you forgive me? Would you make me your son? And right there at the Bema, we think that salvation is just kind of saying something or believing some facts. Oh, no, no. I watched my soul go from death to life. I watched the Holy Spirit come down on top of me. And it was, there's major transformation. Wow, I looked up at Jesus. He's got these big tears coming down his face. And he's smiling and he says, he says to me, Daniel James Matthewson, you will never know. Throughout all of eternity, you will never know how much I love you. And I began, I think, at that point, to really understand. And he said, Daniel, at this point, you have the foundation. You have my Holy Spirit. You have gifts. And you can build upon it. Let's see what you built. And Jesus walked me through again all of my life, the next 39 years. Well, I don't have 39 years to use with you this morning. So I'm going to have to summarize my judgment really with three observations that I made from, from the Bema. First observation is that at the Bema seat, Jesus' opinion is all that matters. Now, I didn't say Jesus' opinion should be all that matters. No, no, no. At the Bema seat, Jesus' opinion is all that matters. But I didn't live my life that way. I really didn't even think about Jesus' opinion. I really lived my life. This is a pattern in my, a pattern in my life from beginning to end for the opinions of others. This really began to manifest itself, though, in my adolescent years. You know, I had, I had different friends and stuff that I let control my hair, my dress, my attitude. They controlled what I did. They controlled my language. I lived, my whole life was based around impressing these people. I remember having conversations with my dad. Actually, they were fights. My dad would say, no son of mine is going out looking like that. And so you, oh Yeah. Well, I guess I'm no son of yours. And I said, oh, Jesus. Why? Why did I let people direct what I said, what I did, how I looked? Why did I let people control me like that? He said, Daniel, I told you that I am the bread of life. If you feast on me, your your hunger will be satisfied. But if not, you're going to have to seek that to be found somewhere else. That wasn't very satisfying, was it? No, it wasn't. And I wish I could tell you that from that point on, I, I was, it was a phase that I grew out of. But no, it wasn't. It, it, it deepened in its hideousness. I, I was able to cover it up and dress it up a little bit. But it was always there. I wish I didn't have to tell you my worst example. This is the most painful one. It was my buddy, Jerry. Now, Jerry and I, I think we met in the nursery at church. And we grew up together. And we did everything together. Jerry was my, was my best friend. And that Jerry, <laughs> hey, yeah, buddy, whoa, 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 We were close. I mean, we did Boy Scouts together and Boy Choir together. And we talked about girls together. We did, you name it. Well, after high school, we were going to go to college. Same school. We applied. We got accepted on the same day. Is that an omen or what? We were going to spend four years together roaming. We talked to all the housing people. We were set. Nothing was going to separate us. Almost. Until it came time for the frats to pledge and the fraternity. I mean, it's the fraternity on campus. Ask me. They didn't want Jerry. And I tried to tell them, you guys, you got to have Jerry. He's a hoot, man. He's a great guy. We need him in our frat. And they said, no, we don't think so. We don't want Jerry. I, was, I wasn't sure what to do. He said, Dan, the man, just go for it, man. It's a great opportunity. I'd do it if I were you. Well, I knew he wouldn't really. 
I said, oh, really? Oh, great. Hey, thanks so much. And I never looked back. But from the Bema, you know what? I could look back. And I realized what I did to my best friend, best relationship I'd ever had in life. I said, oh, Jesus. Jesus, if I could just go back and relive my life, it would change things up. Why did I? I'm so sorry. Well, that was the first observation, that Jesus' opinion is all that matters. Second observation from the Bema is that investing people is all that matters. Now, I don't know how you treated people in life, but for me, people were kind of like landscaping. You know, they were, they were there to make me look good. And to the extent that they would sing my praises and help me accomplish my stuff, and they, to the extent that they made me look good, I, I employed them. But as soon as they didn't, I had no use for them. Well, that's not the way Jesus views people. Now, I didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. No, I don't want to say that. I didn't have a whole lot of taking advantage of the opportunities to invest in people when I was on earth. But Jesus reminded me of this one time. You know, I, I was in high school at the time. And my, my youth leader's name was Randall. Now, this was, Randall was not my youth pastor. He was my youth leader. I think he, like, sold copy machines or something. Uh, but, but he came. He was my small group leader. He invested in us guys. He would share with us and challenge us to spend time in God's Word and to pray. And I, I did. And this, this time during my high school years was most certainly my most spiritually significant time. I was growing and loving it. Well, after one of my games that Randall came to, he took me out for a Coke and he said, Daniel... I think I see in you the gift of encouragement. And then he told me what the gift meant. And he said, Daniel, if you're going to honor God with this gift, you need to get outside yourself and pour into other people. And I wasn't sure exactly how this looked. But the next week, this girl shows up at youth group. She was kind of a wallflower girl. I didn't have a lot of friends. Frankly, I don't think she had any friends at youth group. But I, I saw her out there by herself and I kind of went over and introduced myself to her, introduced her to some of the, the key students and key leaders. And the very next week, Sandy, that was her name, came back to youth group. And then she came back again and again. I thought, oh, Jesus, this is great. I forgot all about Sandy. And then Jesus reminded me of something. You know, this is the cool thing about the Bema. Uh, even stuff we've forgotten that was good, Jesus doesn't forget. And he reminded me that four weeks later, after youth group, Sandy had some questions. She said, can I talk to you? And said, yeah. And she asked me some questions, spiritual stuff. And I opened up the Bible and led her to Christ. And I said, oh, Jesus, that's so cool. I forgot all about that. Jesus, whatever happened to Sandy? He said, oh, Daniel. She went on to college. She got involved in a, in a campus crusade. She led all kinds of people to the Lord. Now, this is the cool thing. Because I received credit for Sandy. But I also received credit, partial credit, for all those other people that she led to the Lord. She became a mom. She had three kids. She discipled her kids. And I received partial spiritual credit for her children. And then they went out. And they influenced people. And I received partial credit for them. And then she, she led the women's ministries at her church. And guess who received partial credit for all the gals touched? She had the gift of teaching. And when she taught... People's eyes were open to the word of God, and I received partial credit for that. And I'm looking at this going, oh, man, from one influence and just one person. Oh, Jesus, this is incredible. I think I'm starting to get it. I said, uh, Jesus, I, I didn't have a whole lot of sandy instances in my life, did I? 
He said, no. And he reminded me of Peggy. I, I, I wish he would have forgot all about Peggy. When I hit that fraternity, my life spiraled out of control in a hurry. I was drinking, heavy, and partying on a regular pot, different sorority girl. It was just the whole bad scene life. And it was getting kind of old for me until I met Peggy. And Peggy was so naively attractive. You know what I mean? She was so sweet. She was bouncy. She was, she was fun. She was pure. She was innocent. She had great morals. But it didn't take me long to corrupt her. And the more influence I had on her, the more depressed and despondent she became. We fought all the time until we finally just kind of broke up enemies. And from the beam, I, I saw her and I said, Oh, Jesus. What happened to Peggy? He said, Well, Daniel, she's had three marriages. Two of them, the husband beat her. The third one, he left her with a boatload of debt and a child. I said, Oh, Jesus, I'm so, so responsible for Peggy. I'm so responsible for Peggy. And he said, No, Daniel, Daniel. You're not responsible for Peggy. Peggy was responsible for Peggy. Everybody is responsible for their decisions. But you were responsible to Peggy. And the real tragedy, Daniel, is that you had an opportunity to lead her to me. And instead, you led her the other direction. I said, oh. Jesus ultimately, where did he? He said, well, Daniel, two years after her last marriage... Someone from her work invited her to church. She came to know me. And Daniel, she's here today and she wants to see you. And I said, <laughs> she does. Like, oh, Lord, are you sure that's a good idea? I don't know if we should. He said, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. No, no, no. There's no shame in the heavenlies. I said, oh, Jesus, if I could just go back and redo my life, I would have a whole lot more Sandy instances and a whole lot less Peggy Instances investing in people. It's all that matters. That was my second observation from the Bema. My, my third observation, and I'm not sure exactly how to say this other than the perspective from the Bema is just radically different. I mean, when I was on earth, I thought I knew the score. I had a gift of discernment, I thought. I, I knew what was going on. I, I, I understood. But up at the Bema, I looked back and I didn't have a clue. Let me give you an example. I changed working relationships at one point down there. And, and you need to know, in my industry, a man by the name of Derek Hogan was the guy to work for. He was the premier man to be working for. Just to work for Hogan was a sign of success. He had the biggest, most successful firm. And so when he called me up one day, and I heard his name on the phone, and he told me that he was looking for me, and he said, Daniel, I want to offer you a job. I said, whoa, 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 oh man, he told me that he was a great evaluator of talent and that he thought that I had what it took to be successful under the right circumstances and that he had a moral obligation to give me those right circumstances. Said he would double my salary. <laughs> he didn't even ask me what I was making, just going to double your salary. I said, whoa, oh my goodness, Mr. Hogan, this is quite the offer and I, I think that, I, I, I think I probably should talk to my other boss, and he said, Daniel, listen, you need to, to move quick because this table's not going to offer, it's not going to be on the table long. And I was thinking, oh, 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 so I want to talk to Mr. Mitchell. Now, you got to know Mr. Mitchell. 
He was a friend of the family. He gave me my start out of school when actually Hogan's HR department told me where to go. And he was a very kind and friendly, godly man. He cared for his employees. He cared for my family. So it hurt a little bit, but I, I had to tell him, I, Mr. Mitchell, Derek Hogan has offered me a job. And he said, Daniel, you better think twice before you work for Hogan. I did think twice. I thought twice about that double your salary thing. That's what I thought twice about. And I said, you know, listen, Mr. Mitchell, frankly, uh, Derek Hogan has offered me a salary that you just can't compete with. You, you can't compete with it. And trying to do what's best for my family and, and, and myself, I really think that's what I need to do. And so thank you for everything you, you've done. And I, I know there's probably some concern about some of the clients that I brought to your business, but I want you to know. I won't touch those, okay? I, I promise you. I'm, I'm, th- those are yours, and I won't mess with any of those, okay? Thanks. thanks. I pre- appreciate what you did for me. I started for Derek Hogan the next day. But Hogan's demeanor changed. I mean, we're talking like a Jekyll Hyde thing. I mean, I mean, he started questioning whether or not it was the right thing for him to do to bring me on. He wasn't sure I could cut it. He started giving me this list of rules and... A work week that I thought, I'll never see my family again. He raised the quota bar so high, I thought, nobody could make this. But I did. I was was pretty good. I made Hogan an awful lot of money. And didn't do too bad for myself. I I went up two house sizes within the year. You should have saw what I was driving. Hogan had a box at the game. So every every Sunday morning, from early morning to late at night, I was there smoozing the clients and watching and sealing the deals. Uh, you know, I thought that my, my, my ship had come in, that I, I had really got there. This was the dream and I was living it. Until the day Hogan called me into his office and he said, Matthewson, about a year ago, you brokeraged that deal, that new century deal for Mitchell, didn't you? I said, yes, I did. Now, the new century deal, frankly, no one expected them to come with us. We were such a small outfit. But, but I connected with these guys, you know, and there was chemistry. I said, yes, I did. He said, go get me that account. I said, well, Mr. Hogan, it's, it's, not, it's not that easy. I mean, that, that's Mitchell's account. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'll get you others. And he said, what's the problem, Daniel? Do you have like a non-compete clause or something? I said, no, 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 nothing legal like that. But I gave my word. We shook on it. He laughed at me. He said, in this game, your word means nothing. Matthewson, if you don't have a written legal agreement, you've got freedom. Now go get me that account. Well, that account was like 50% of Mitchell's uh, revenues. This will destroy him. I said, no, I can't do that, sir. Get it or get out. So I went and I wrestled the account away and it, it wasn't hard I had all the connections, I had all the relationships, but from the Bema I could see. I didn't just betray a man who was kind to me. I destroyed an honest businessman. I destroyed his business. I thought, oh, Jesus, 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 if I could just go back, if I could just go back, I'd live my life from, from, from the vantage point of the Bema. For this day I would live, not, not back then. Well, there's no use in going through the rest of my life. I mean, it was much of the same stuff, chasing after materialism, neglecting God, neglecting my family, on and on. Went to work one day, went out for a sandwich. Jesus came back, and here I am. And Jesus said, Daniel, your judgment is complete. Stand, please. I'll summarize your life, and then you'll be glorified. 
He said, Daniel, you need to know that I gave you material blessings wildly beyond the imagination of most people in this world. You were the upper 1% of the wealthiest people who ever lived on the earth. I said, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that, Jesus. He said, yeah. He said, I gave you an incredible heritage. I gave you parents who loved me. I gave you a, a church that poured into you. I brought people into your life that were going to invest in you. And Daniel, you neglected almost all of it. He said, I gave you two spiritual gifts, encouragement and teaching, both of which were virtually unused. And Daniel, you did have some, some flashes of brilliance. But for the most part, Daniel, the worthlessness of your life far outweighed the worthwhileness of your life. And I fell to my knees. I thought, what can I possibly hear that's worse than this? And then I heard it. He said, Daniel, summary of your life is you left your first love. But there were no your buts, there were no excuses. It was, it was, I invited him into my life and then straight up neglected him. I dragged him around like a little pet on a leash. You know, when I wanted people to see him in my life, I threw him in the backseat of my oh, so impressive life and took him where I wanted him to go. And if I didn't want him to go there, we didn't go there. And as I sat there, I was crying. And Jesus said, Daniel, I want you to know, though, that your first love never left you. Thank you, Jesus. He said, he said, he said Daniel, no condemnation to those who are for me. Thank you, Jesus. I was crying. I said, Jesus, what's with the tears? There's not supposed to be any tears in heaven. He said, no. I will wipe all tears away. Jesus got up off his throne and he came over to me. He put his big, big Jesus fingers under my eyes. He wiped my tears away. And I haven't cried since and he lifted me up and he said Daniel James Matthewson I love you very much Daniel be glorified and I was and the greatest thing is all of those pieces of my life that were incinerated were incinerated from my memory and I, I flew back to my seat. And as I did, I passed my wife and kids. They would blow me. And they were going, yeah, that's my dad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I made it, guys. I got back to my seat. And everyone was hugging me. And they high-fiving me. And they were telling me how proud they were of me. And I thought, this, this is heaven. Well, the, the, the judgments continued. Until finally, the, the last one was completed. And when it was completed, my friend from Japan, Angura, he received four crowns. He had two on each arm. Angura went to the throne of Jesus. He just went there and he threw his crowns at Jesus' feet. And then another person came down and they threw their crowns. And before you know it, everybody was coming and throwing their crowns at Jesus' feet. And so I reached for mine, but I didn't have a crown. But I thought if I could go back, I'd get me a crown because I would want to participate in this incredible incredible act of worship and then somewhere in the arena someone began to sing about worshiping Jesus with their crowns well as we made our way back to our seats yeah, to tell you we, we worshiped for the longest time you may be seated and it was it was that elastic time thing it could have been months I don't know but when we finally finished Jesus got up off his throne he came to the end of his stage 
And he said, the judgments are complete. I'm sure you have much catching up to do. Go. Well, the, the, the place blew up like fireworks. I mean, keep in mind, there were two billion plus people there, each shining like, like the sun. And when he said go, it was a going everywhere. I went instinctively to where I knew my, my wife and children were. And we were just kind of hugging each other, amazed at what Jesus did. And I heard someone coming up behind me. And I looked and it was John Mitchell, the, the guy whose business I ruined. He was running like the, the prodigal son father. And he grabbed me with his beer, big bear hug and he said, Daniel, I'm so glad to see you here. I, I wondered. And, I, I, and well, then on the other side, I looked and Sandy was there. She was the girl that I led to the Lord in high school. And she said, oh, Daniel, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I said, no, 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 Sandy, thank you for being influenced by me. I, you're the only one. I needed you today, Sandy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Looked on the other side, and there was Peggy, the girl I, I corrupted in college. But there was no shame. And as Peggy and I began to walk and talk about how she came to know Jesus, I started hearing this obnoxious noise. What in the world is this thing? It just was ringing in my head. And I thought, what is that? It's my alarm. This was a dream. It was a dream. And I said, oh, no, I want to go back. I screamed that. Well, my wife next to me kind of woke up. She rolled over, mumbled something at me, and then rolled back. I, I moved over to the side of the bed, and I started thinking, this was, was a dream, right, Jesus? I prayed that you'd give me a second chance. Did you? I, I reached back over to my wife, and I kissed her on the back of her head, and I said, sweetie, you're not going to recognize hubby in the morning. And, and then I walked down the hallway, my bedrooms, and I opened each door of my kids' rooms. I stuck my head in. I just kind of whispered, Daddy's home. I, I went downstairs to my, my office. I pulled off the Bible. And I, I looked, read Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, and I realized that my dream wasn't far off theologically. Something like that really would happen one day. And so right there, I, I, I determined that I was going to live for that day and not today. And so I prayed a prayer of dedication. I said, Lord, here is here's, here's my life. And what I want to do now, I want to break character for a little bit if I can. And I'm going to ask you, if perchance this last week or two, maybe you saw yourself in Daniel James Matthewson, one degree or another. And you, 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 you said, you know what? Jesus has given me a second chance. I was living my life, maybe not bad, but definitely not for the Bema. And I want to dedicate my life to him. There's a reason why 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 are two of my life verses. But I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you are interested, Spirit's moved in your heart, of dedicating your life to Him. Same type of prayer that Daniel prayed. I want to invite you right now to stand up where you are. We're not going to be coming forward or anything, but I do want you to stand. If in fact you, serious, you want to commit, dedicate your life to Him the rest of your days. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And what I want you to do is I want you to, to repeat after me, but to Jesus, but I want you to repeat out loud for your sake. A prayer of dedication. It says, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. 
Thank you for giving me your spirit and a purpose to live for. Would you forgive me for lost opportunities, for neglected gifts, and would you use me from this day forward? I want to live for that day and not today. Lord, would you give me the power? Would you give me the courage? Would you give me the patience to live for your future? I will do so. In the name of Jesus. Amen.